What I love about Sundays Sing along as the choir sways Every verse of amazing grace And then we shake the preacher's hand Go home into your blue jeans Have some chicken and some baked beans Take a backyard football team Not do much of anything That's what I love about Sundays Hey, good morning. That's, uh, that's our walk-up song for this series. Uh, in, in the major leagues, baseball players have walk-up songs when they're walking up to the plate. It's time, you know, psych them up. You get a little bit uh, of insight into their who they are, and things like that. A friend of my son, my son played high school baseball, and a friend of his would put together walk-up songs for those guys. His was Son of a Preacher Man. That was his walk-up song. Uh, we'll get back to that, that walk-up song in a moment, but what we're doing in the next few weeks, we're going to look at what Sundays are all about here at Church in the Valley. Uh, All of us do things over and over and over again, and we forget why we do them. It's easy to forget. Even meaningful activities can lose their meaning as you just forget the purpose behind what you're doing or why you're doing it in that order even. Sundays can be like that. There are all kinds of routine activities that we do without thinking. For instance, often halfway to work, I'll try to remember if I hit the garage door remote or not. And, you know, that day might be a garage sale for people who come by. Really good bargain prices. Or locking the door when I'm leaving work. There's a lot of stuff in there. You know, we do these routine things and it becomes so routine that we can't remember exactly why, why we do them. Um, it's just sort of like wind us up and let us go. Like this mouth here, just wind it up. Let it go. Um, our commute is sort of like that, too. You know, we, we, we do things over and over and over again, and they become stale quickly. One commute taking two hours to get 30 miles gets old that, that one time. That's all it takes. So we get, we get caught in the traffic. It gets very old. It's tedious. Stop and go, stop and go. It takes two to three times longer than it should. Here's an article about how to make the most of your commute. I don't know if you ever give any thought of that, but the title of the article from Reader's Digest is uh, Successful People Do These 12 Things on Their Commute. Now, I don't want to be a dud, so I'm going to figure out what those things are. That motivates me. I don't. I want to be successful. <laughs> i got to figure that out. So <clears throat> it helps to step back and take an aerial view of what we do routinely why we do it, how we can make the most of it, what exactly is going on as we do these things. If, if you're a Christ follower, going to church on Sunday becomes a habit. It's a really good habit. We're commanded to do this in Scripture. If, if we don't think, though, about how to make the most of it, then we can lose some value in doing it, quite a bit of value, because... Anything we do for three weeks or more becomes tradition, especially in church life. You know, you do something for more than three weeks, that's a tradition. 
And it's very easy to hollow out traditions. They become hollow very, very easily. We do the same things over and over and over again. It's like a wind-up doll or wind-up mouth or pull-string doll. And so that's why we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what's, what's the big backdrop thing that's going on here. Uh, the big principle, the big idea, and then the specifics. Why do we do the specifics that we do on Sunday morning? If attending church hasn't been much of a habit for you, this series will show you why we do it, and hopefully you'll be encouraged to, to make it more of a habit. In this series, we're going to dig into <clears throat> the big giant idea, the big principle behind what we do here on Sundays, and the big idea of worship we're going to dig into and find out uh, what worship is according to Scripture. And then we're going to look at the specifics of singing, the message, which I'm doing right now, the offering, and then serving. Because we're going to rewind. Last week, we're going to rewind to the very start of the day and look at how we serve. Because it's like a barn raising here every week at Church in the Valley. Everybody's pitching in to set things up and make it happen. And so we're going to rewind and look at that. We're starting by taking a step back and looking at a major command from God that puts the specifics of Sunday mornings in context. So we're going to look at the big picture, and then we're going to focus on singing together, because that's not something that we do that, that often in, in groups. You don't, you don't go to work and gather around and sing together at work to get motivated to do what you're about to do that day. So we're going to look at this. Basically, the big picture is Sundays remind us that our entire life belongs to God. This, this is the reminder. It's the first day of the week. And here at CIV, we, we set aside the first part of the first day of the week to serve and worship God together. Giving the first part of the first day of the week can remind Christ followers that every other day belongs to God as well. This is, this is the intent of it. Give the best and the first to him. This, this is a reminder. Here's a giant statement from the Apostle Paul that's the backdrop for our Sundays here. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is your worship. This is the definition of worship according to God. I present my body as a living sacrifice to him. I give it over to him to be used by him. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by, by the mercies of God. Now, I was taught by a Bible teacher early on, that whenever you read the word therefore in Scripture, you need to stop and ask yourself what it's there for. <laughs> when it says therefore, it's referring to whatever the writer was talking about prior to that. And so if we were to dig into the first chapters of 
Romans. Paul had a pattern when he wrote, and God used Paul. He spoke through Paul to write much of the New Testament uh, portion of the Bible. And he had a pattern. He would, he would talk about the big ideas about God, the Christian life, what it meant to walk with him. And then he would, he would do this. He would get very specific. He would say, therefore, since this is the truth, this is how you live it. And that, that's what's happening here. He's, he spent 11 chapters in Romans covering major truths about God. And in light of who God is and what's been going on in the world, he's also spent time on our natural condition without Christ before God. So he's, he's laying out this verse, Romans 12.1, in the context of all these major truths. And a major truth that he's been communicating in the first 11 chapters of Romans is, first of all, um, he's, been, he's been pointing out that the law, God's law and commandments, aren't designed to do what we typically think the law of God is designed to do. He, he makes a great case for this. He spends, he's, he's a brilliant guy, very gifted theologian. And so he makes this brilliant case that the law, we tend to think that whenever God issues commandments, then we need to do those commandments and that's the way we earn God's approval. That's the way, that's like a ladder that we use to climb to heaven. We do the commandments and we, we climb our way into heaven. If we choose to do them most of the time, and we make up for the times when we blow it, then we're going to make it into heaven. So Paul's, Paul's dealing with this idea. And he's showing that's, that he's writing to Gentiles, but he, he's also kind of putting in the context Gentiles are non-Jewish folks. And he's, he's trying to explain how this law that God gave to the Jewish folks, to the Hebrews, was intended to express what God wants from all, kind, all people. And we tend to think, well, hey, there's a commandment. I'm going to please God. I'm going to climb the ladder to heaven by doing these commandments. Paul shows us reality from God's viewpoint in these first few chapters of Romans. And he also reveals God's purpose for the law. Here's reality. He gives us the dose of reality that we are all guilty before God. points out that there is no way that we can make up for our sin. Actually, part of the law was sacrifice. A sacrifice was a, a core part of what you did. When you, when you sinned under the law, you made up for it by presenting an animal for sacrifice. And then you gave the animal to the temple and God had given instructions for the priest to do something with the animal. So you give it over to the priest and then it's not yours anymore. You've given it to God and then they used some of it for food and they had different things they did with with the sacrifice. So we're all guilty before God. And somebody, something needs to pay for our sin. That's the big idea of the law. 
Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Since we've been made, we've been created. That's what you gather from Scripture is that we've been made by God. It's right that we do what the Maker wants. This, this is what's right. When something is made and it works the way it's intended, it brings glory to its maker. The wisdom of the one who designed it shines. This is what God wants from our lives. He, he, in fact, that's why he gave the commandments. That's why the law exists. To, to show us what God wants from us. To help us understand it. But when something does that, what it's made to do, it, it brings glory and honor to, to the one who made it. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. I'm grateful for Tom. You know, I really appreciate, and I write checks to Southern California Edison. That was a brilliant thing he did, isn't it? I mean, he gets, he gets some glory from his invention when it works. Now, if, if he never figured it out, no glory. But since you flip the switch and the light bulb comes on, whoa, Tom knew what was happening here. You know, this is, this is an amazing thing. This is the way it works. And the problem with people who have been made is that we decided to go our own way. We decided to live life independent from God. This separated us from God. And so now, since we're not living the way he designed under his leadership, we fall short of the glory of God that's due him. This is, this is what this passage is talking about. As you continue in Romans, you learn that the law was never a ladder. It was never intended to be a ladder. What, it, what the law is, it's an x-ray machine that shows our need for redemption, our need to have someone pay for our sin. It's more like an x-ray that shows us how we fall short of God's standard for living. Romans 7, 7 says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So it, it shines a light on our sin and shows us our wrong. Through God's law, we discover our need for someone to save us, to pay for our, our sin. And God's made a way for that. He's made a way for us to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. So even though we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.24, the next verse says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're, we're justified as a gift This is the backdrop of Romans 12.1. These are the big, major ideas that Paul has been communicating. And so this is what Paul means when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. It's God's mercy that we, that we know him, that we can know him, that we can be forgiven, that we can... Accept this gift of Jesus' payment for our sin on the cross. One perfect man who was God died and covered everyone's sin. We no longer have to sacrifice dead an- or animals who end up dead <laughs> because of our sin. 
And since God has been so gracious and merciful by making us and then paying for our sin in Christ Jesus, we give our lives to him. This is our response. And notice it's an appeal. It's not a command. It's an appeal. Because God, the way God is, he's not going to force you to give your life to him. It's right that you do. But he's not going to force it on you. He wants, he wants your heart. He wants you to choose to give your life to him. And so Paul makes an appeal by the mercies of God. Out of gratitude, we give our lives to him because we owe him. We know we owe him because he made us and we owe him because he bought us. He paid for our sin. That is love right there that God loves us this much. To do this for us. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices contrast with the dead sacrifices in Hebrews. uh, Or that the Hebrews were commanded to give in the law. Uh, They they were commanded to make them in, in order to pay for their sin, as I said. In the Old Testament, every time a person committed a sin, they were required to give a sacrifice of some kind to pay for it. An animal was given and sacrificed. This showed the need to pay for our sin and how impossible it is to cover all our sin. They had one day, the Day of Atonement, once a year, where the high priest would go in and it would, it would represent covering everyone's sin. This was a picture. This, this is not a ladder. This was a picture that was leading us to Jesus' death on the cross so that we would connect the dot. Boy, we need Someone to pay, and Jesus has paid so freely out of love, out of God's love for us. This is the canvas on which the life of a Christ follower is lived. This this is the broad background on which we do what we do here on Sundays mornings and then through the week. In the Old English, we, we call this meeting worship. In the Old English, worship means worthiness, acknowledgement of worth. That's what it means, worship. And we gather on Sundays, first part of the first day of the week, to acknowledge God's worth, that he is worthy of our very lives. Being a living sacrifice is our spiritual worship. We give our lives back to God, who, who rightfully owns it, and... It should be an everyday, moment-by-moment thing. This means when my desires clash with God's desires, which they often do, my flesh, my native reflexes, in situations throughout the day at work, in the family, uh, I, I read Scripture and I find out what God wants. I see His commands. I know what He thinks. And then I get in the situation and I don't want to do what God wants. You know, I hit this intersection and there's a choice. I'm a living sacrifice when I do it God's way. I, I, lay, I surrender myself, what I really would prefer to do or say in that moment, and I do it God's way. That's, that's how we live out this passage. We're a living sacrifice before him. When we arrive at that intersection, we surrender what, to what God wants. Our gatherings for worship on Sundays are an important reminder that our entire lives belong to God. 
That's, that's why we do this, is to remind us. It's one of the reasons. Is to remind us that our entire lives belong to God. Sunday morning worship is typically about an hour long. Uh, the hour is comprised of a few major elements. Every week we do these things. We sing. There's a message. We receive an offering. And we serve together, those of us who've decided to become uh, a part of the team, serve together. And that starts very early, before, before uh, the, the service starts. So these things are going on every week. But one of those things, usually the very first thing we do on Sunday mornings here, is we sing. We sing songs of praise together. Depending on your background, singing in a group may or may not make sense to you. <laughs> Maybe you haven't done it very much. If you grew up in church, you may have done this at least once a week since childhood. And so it's like normal. That song, that's what I love about Sundays. You know, it, it, brings, it brings back memories of the choir swaying. You know, that's what he says. So, and I apologize to you who cannot handle country music. But, you know, I'm okay with it. Yeah, you, and, and when, when I hear that song, what happens is I see faces of people I grew up with because I grew up in church and we sang songs. There was a choir. I see faces. I see names. And I, it, it, it draws my heart to, to, to those things. So it makes perfect sense to me to come together in a group of people and sing. If you, if you haven't been in church, this... This may be awkward. To get, it might be something that you just have to get used to. It may seem to. I had one friend who came who hadn't been in church very often, and he said, "Oh, I, I really like the karaoke. That's really cool. You got, you know, that that was his context for what we do. You know, a karaoke contest. But it's not a contest. It's something much, much deeper than that. So it's important to." Since we do something that doesn't make sense to everybody, it's, it's, it's going to be important for us to stop and talk about why we, why we do it. You might prefer more singing and a shorter message. Or you might prefer more message and less singing. We need both. Each of these are important parts of worship, and we're going to look at why and what God says about that right here. Singing gets a lot, a lot of attention in, in our culture for a reason. Music and song are powerful. Very, very powerful. Uh, like I said, that walk-up song takes me back. And you have songs that when you hear them, they take you back to a point in time. And they stir up all kinds of emotions in you. Music and song is incredibly powerful. People really enjoy singing for that reason. We pay a lot of money to go to concerts and performances by music. Um, consider the boom of singing competitions on TV. I keep wondering, when, it, when are they going to be done with that? There are over 150 worldwide. Yeah, you got Simon Cowell judging and, and saying all that. Singing is a unique way to express thought and emotion it's powerful, so it's popular. It draws our hearts into things. We don't often sing with a group, as I said, of other people, exception national anthem. You know, we do sing, we do sing that together because it's, it's, it's a statement 
of unity and purpose is why we do that. The Bible expresses the importance of singing songs to the Lord. It's a crucial purpose, and it contrasts with the other times we sing. Singing is a central element of our Sunday gatherings by design. Colossians 3, 16, 17. Check this out. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This passage paints a picture of the way we should interact as a church body. First off, the word of Christ dwells in us richly. It saturates us. There's a strong focus on God's truth. If the word of Christ is dwelling in us, we're filled with his word. We, we, we soak it up. And how do we do that? We do it, the passage says, by teaching, imparting truth. That's what we're doing, I'm doing here. And through admonishing. We use the, the Bible, we use the scripture to solve our problems. And to give warnings about what's going on. And then singing. Notice the, the place of singing in this passage. As we gather together. Interesting, we're commanded to sing together. We, we don't just do this by accident, but this is a command. Why is that? Why are we commanded to sing together? Something that's not normally done in other settings. We sing, first of all, we sing praise every Sunday because it reminds us of God's truth. Every song that we sing can be traced back to a passage of Scripture or something about, about God. And that's true about Him and that lines up with the Bible. So we're really singing the truth. What we sing and say on Sundays should match up with God's truth and we really take care with this. We throw out songs and we... Don't do song. We, we really like some of the, the melodies and the way it sounds and say, but we just can't sing that. That doesn't fit. So we, we take a lot of care with this. Sunday mornings revolve around God's truth so we get feel, filled with it. Once a week, this is what we're doing. That's why we make sure the lyrics are always up so we can see the truth as we're singing the truth. Our worship leader carefully selects songs that correspond with the message. We're, we're trying to put it together. The instruments and the words tie our hearts to the truth like nothing else can. It helps us remember the truth like nothing else. I, it, it's a lot of work. I really appreciate the band uh, for the work that they put in. To, to, to help us in this way because we're commanded to do it and nothing else gets the truth in our heart like singing it. It's just the way it is. And so I really appreciate you guys for what you do. You do, you do a great job. It's a lot of work. But it serves a tremendous purpose because as I said, there are songs like, I have songs, we, we tend to sing more contemporary songs, but I have hymns that I grew up with. Just give me the first few notes of the hymn and I can take off. I, I remember the words. Often I'm not that gifted as a musician, so it's a little harder for me to start it out, but you get me going and I take off. Because music ties our heart 
like nothing else. It gets to our heart. It gets soaks into our mind. So that's one of the reasons we sing. It reminds us of God's truth. It sinks into our being and, and really helps us remember. Uh, we also sing because it expresses our praise and gratitude to God. Since Jesus paid the penalty that we owed for sin, we're instructed in Hebrews thirteen fifteen through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This is, this is a command. We're, we're to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our praise grows out of the root of the gratitude in our hearts, knowing that Jesus paid the price for us. Look at David's response. I find this interesting. David is being chased by King Saul at this point in his life. Most of the psalms are actually songs that the early church would sing. That's why the passage, Colossians 3, talks about sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But what's, what's happening here, I'm going to read a passage in a moment from a psalm. And what's happening is David is surrounded. He's surrounded by uh, King Saul's troops who are trying to take him out because Saul, who should be praising him, sees him as a threat to the throne. And so look at what David does. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. David faces the threat on his life with praise and thanksgiving. He reminds himself in song of God's strength, God's love, God's protection, God's help in time of need. Singing expresses praise and gratitude like nothing else can. Our voice, our thoughts, our energy are all directed to God and expressing the truth at the same time. Finally, we sing because it increases our faith. There's power in singing together. When we sing together, like we do here on Sundays, we're delivering a powerful message to each other. What's the message? God is real. He's worthy of our focus. He's worthy of our loyalty. You're not crazy to trust him and follow him. I am too. We, whenever, whenever you, after Romans 12:1, the next verse talks about how Following the Lord Jesus is like swimming against the current in our culture. So singing together reinforces the, the fact that there, we're a group of people. We're walking, we're, we're swimming against the culture together. We're in this together and we're swimming that direction. You're not crazy to trust him and follow him. Look at all these people who have placed their faith in him. Listen to their voices. Let their faith in God lift up your faith. Someone once said, a successful Christian life involves attention to three books, God's book, the pocketbook, and the hymn book. It's not completely that simple, but there's, there's some wisdom here. God's book shows us how to live God's way. It's not a ladder to climb to heaven, but it's an x-ray machine that shows us where we're off and what we need to change. It's very, very helpful. Our pocketbook reveals, reveals how much faith we have in that are we, are we following God and giving him what he asks, the portion that he's asked us out of, our, out of our income. So it reveals, and 
our pocketbook as you follow God and obey him and give it's a dynamic. You find out he's real. He proves himself to be real. So that's why he says that about the pocketbook. But then he says uh, the hymn book is important because singing ties our heart and reminds us of truth in a way that nothing else can. So that's that's why that statement's made. To omit spiritual singing from our Christian life is to rob ourselves of much rich time before God. How is all of this helpful to us? For just a moment, think about the week that's coming up. Sorry to interrupt you and force you to think about something. You may have things you're worried about or concerned about. But but think about it. Fill your mind with everything that's headed your way. Work, challenges, activities, events, bills, relationships, things you need. Now look at the impact from singing that we just discovered, that we talked about. Our minds are reminded of God's truth, and it fills us. He's going to walk through that week with you. He's going to be there. He's faithful. He's worthy. Our hearts are full of gratitude. As we head into a week, it really helps to be grateful because that's, that's a proven antidote to stress and worry is gratitude. So it, it helps us to express that. Our commitment to the Lord is renewed and our faith is increased as we head into the week. What I love about Sunday is being spurred to think and do what's good and right. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is right. It's right to present our bodies to God because he made us. He, he paid for our sin. So th- this is right. And when we do what's right, we're, things work well. <laughs> our life is, is meaningful as we do this. And so Sunday reminds us of how we can be a living sacrifice moment by moment in the week ahead. This is the purpose of Sunday mornings. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out your connection card that you began to fill out earlier in the service. And you could take this time to finish completing any information that you weren't able to complete earlier. Or there are some next steps that I'm going to suggest that you may want to mark on there on the back. Uh, There are a place to, to mark the next step that you'd like to take. Here are some steps that I've suggested. Uh, first one, memorize Romans 12.1. This is kind of like, our next steps is kind of like the therefore in the Bible. You know, hey, we talked about this, therefore, this is what I'm going to do. And often, as we're looking at Scripture, God speaks to us, He says something to us, and there's something we should do about it. And these are my suggestions. You may have some that you'd like to take yourself that the Lord laid on your heart, but one of those would be to memorize that verse. It's It's a core verse of what the Christian life is all about. A second step would be to resolve to be a living sacrifice this week, moment by moment. You you may be, there may be something you're struggling with. You know what God wants there, and you're not really wanting to do it, and you're wanting to be, uh, uh, you've decided, I'm going to be a living sacrifice here. I'm going to get. There's an intersection between my wants and God wants. I'm going to surrender mine to him. Uh, That could be a step. And then finally, express thanks to God in song this week. Just 
Take, take one of the songs. Go on iTunes. Download it. It really helps me. We, we enter God's presence often, even in, in our personal private times of prayer. Uh, we can enter God's presence with praise and thanksgiving. And there's, this, there's something that happens spiritually in the, in the spiritual realm and in, in our own lives. Because God is pleased and he moves as we, as we praise him. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in Scripture and how it guides us and helps us. And I, I ask, Father, that you would help us to take the steps, that you give us the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take this morning, that we might please you with our lives, that we might give our lives back in honor of the life you've given us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.